Hey everybody, this is Atkins. And this is Adam. And we're bringing you another episode of the Almighty Podcast. Today, we're covering the only episode that we had left in Season 5, Episode 113, which is titled The High Deep Blue Sky and covers the manga chapters 256 and 257. And in traditional format, it feels like it pretty much snuck up on us. I definitely didn't realize that one was coming until we sort of hit this one. But I gotta admit, I, I kind of feel bad that this is the last episode of the season. It feels like the last episode should have been the last one. Like, this wasn't the worst episode I've ever seen, but it feels like it could have just been the beginning of the next season, or maybe like a, a pre-season, I don't know, trailer almost. I totally agree, in, in part because the history of this particular show has been that the first episode is, this is Ida, his quirk is Injun, it makes him run fast, and we kind of have a portion of this episode that could very much be exactly that. Um, and I'm, I'm worried that first episode of season six is going to be that all over again. Uh, when they could have just done the, hey, this is who we were with and this is what we learned in the first episode of, uh, you know, of the next season and left us hanging uh, at the end of season five with Shigaraki's coronation, basically. I think that yeah. would have been a much better place to stop. I think so, too. Uh, you know, this is one of those ones where, like, it almost feels kind of like they've got these scenes that they needed to get in just to kind of tie up some loose ends. And then that's it. Like, there's not a big cliffhanger. Not really, anyways. Uh, but let's get right into the episode and just start talking about it. So we start off one month earlier. Uh, so this is when the Paranormal Liberation Front is basically making their big announcement internally, at least. They are rebranding and they are going to do whatever they want, according to Shigaraki. And we zoom in into the crowd and we see Hawks, who is kind of discussing like his infiltration into the MLA, which has now become the Paranormal Liberation Front. And he's realizing that it is, it's just too late for him like it's that's why it was so easy to infiltrate them is that they have already amassed all the power they need to strike and uh it's it's a little worrisome i think for him he, he sees that like shigaraki has gotten so much power at this point yeah i one of my first notes for this episode is that uh i, I just have written i heard you like flashbacks dog so i put a flashback in your flashback because we were just told one month earlier that we're flashing back and then hawks who we catch up with one month earlier has himself a flashback uh, where he is turning over what, for all intents and purposes, appears to be Best Genus Body over to uh, Dobby in a duffel bag. However, and this is something else that I also have in my notes, uh, two things, really. The first is Dobby is just like, whatever, whether or not this is the real Best Genus, this at least means that you've killed somebody. But it also seems kind of naive in a world with quirks like we've seen to just assume that it is best genus because like there are probably dozens of quirks that could make it dang sure seem like best genus is in that duffel bag and it totally could not be that. Or that it's even a dead body. Like who's to say that there isn't someone out there kind of like skeptic that just created a second, like a clone, a puppet or something, you know, there feels like there's not a lot of fact checking here that we are aware of, but Dobby doesn't seem to care. Yeah, I think he was just interested in murder. I think it, it, it was kind of like uh, a, a weird macabre lit, uh, litmus test for, uh, for Hawks to basically be like, let's see if you really are a bad guy. Like maybe Dobby had some reasons that we're unaware of to be really suspicious about Hawks, besides the fact that, of course, he's the number two hero in, the whole, in Japan sure. right now. Outside of the, the major red flag, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious what your second thing is. I hope it is the other thing that I've noted as well. Oh, the two things were just that Dobby didn't really seem to care, and that if he did, 
it seems naive to just assume that that body was best genus because of quirks. What, gotcha. what, what other thing did you notice here? Well, so there, there are kind of two small things. The first thing is, is that there's a dude in the background here when Dobby and Hawks are talking that literally just has a frog head, which is great. Like, I want to know oh. more about him. <laughs> He's not like Spinner. He's just like a normal human-looking body with just a giant frog head. But the second okay. thing is, is that there is a woman that uh, Hawks is talking to that looks just like a Chaco. Okay, so you kind of jumped out of the flashback into the just initial flashback. We're no longer incepted in flashbacks. Right. Um, so you're, yeah, okay, so I do have in my notes that I have uh, Hawks is talking to just Dollar Store Ochako. Because <laughs> it just looks <laughs> yeah. like knockoff. You know, like they have like the Incredible Hulk figures, but then they mm-hmm. have like the Incredible Hulk uh, with an A or something weird. Something That's crazy, kind of what this yeah. looked like. Yeah, I definitely thought at first that it could be her mom. So I like went to Google and checked out pictures of her parents from when we had seen them at the uh, festival, the sports festival. But it's not her. It just looks a lot like a Chaco. Or like you said, dollar store a Chaco. Yeah, I did want to highlight really quickly, too, before we pick up with this conversation that they have. Um, Hawks is kind of taking inventory of the villains and the position that they've placed themselves in with this merger. And he says that they're united under a single will under Shiggy. Um, with Feel Good Inc.'s control over the network. Um, and then they show like a brief picture of Skeptic who is looking none too happy about any of this. I think he's still salty about that time where uh, Redestro was like, you made a mistake. And then he got all butthurt and was like, I only ever made the one. And we still don't know what that mistake is. Yeah, I get the feeling we're going to find out, though. He continues and says that Detnerat and their deep involvement in the hero industry because they're big uh, providers of uh, of hero equipment. Like hero equipment, yeah. Uh, and then he says in the other high-end Nomu that are still around, because the League of Villains and all of their resources have now folded into all of that stuff, which was previously uh, MLA. So he ends this this thought um, before we catch back up with Dollar Store Ochako. Uh, he says that Shigaraki has the same or maybe even more power than the heroes right now, which is a scary thought. Well, and what's crazy is we don't even know how many heroes are part of the Paranormal Liberation Front. We know there are some, so it's possible that there are heroes that Hawks isn't even accounting for. Like, he's counted his eggs before they've hatched. You know what I mean? Yeah, I also see what you did there with the eggs because he's a bird thing. Um, the <laughs> the other you didn't intend to do it, but I'm not letting you get to. away with it. No, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of makes me the way you phrased it. Um, uh, kind of made me think of the scrolls in the Marvel comics at one point, where it just came out that a bunch of heroes had just been replaced, and it was a big shocker finding out who had been replaced. It, it's it, kind of equivalent to that, where we're going to find out at some point who it is that had been uh, buddy buddies with the MLA this whole time outside of Hawks. We've seen a couple, like the slide and go dude. Um, but yeah, I, I would be sh- shocked to find out that there weren't more, even ranked heroes that have um, swallowed this particular flavor of Kool-Aid. Man, I'm telling you, what if it's a wash? Like, I could see him <laughs> being one, you know, just secretly. You'd never guess it. You know, uh, speaking of Wash, I think it was Ness was in the Discord the other day complaining about the fact that Coda had gone and and uh, worked under Wash during this uh, most recent break. And he was just like, what a lame, you know, choice of hero to serve under. And I was like, but but Coda probably had front row seats to, to you know, have it has access to the answer to the question that we've been asking this whole time, which is how in the world is he ranked number eight? Coda might know. And I'm kind of jealous about that, that information right now. That's a really good point. I hadn't considered that. (laughs) Well, Coda becomes a huge wash apologist. Oh my God. He doesn't speak hardly at all. (laughs) No, I don't think uh, so. Yeah. 
Well, Hawks is is definitely still trying to figure out who is the ultimate backer here. I mean, he realizes that right. there is probably someone behind Shigaraki that has got kind of pulling all the strings or at least pointing him in a certain direction. And he knows it's not all for one. So he wants to figure that out before he decides to stop investigating. And I guess at some point in time, we're going to see him default back to the heroes. I'm kind of interested in seeing how that plays out. I haven't I haven't really put too much thought into how he's going to get out of harm's way. You know what I mean? Um, but we transition over to Shigaraki, who is talking to this doctor that he has met up with. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy because he's showing off his arm and like how destroyed it is. And he's talking about how he wants to be able to use his powers to take out everything that one for all represents and everything that all might represents. And he can't do that if, you know, his power is going to be this detrimental to his body. So he's asking the doctor for more power and says, you know, if you're willing to give it to me, I'm willing to take it. So he's kind of getting hooked up to this machine and as he's being hooked up, the doctor begins to explain his research into what he calls the quirk singularity. Yeah, and that's a phrase that we've had come up before, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but we get a much more full and in-depth description of what it is, exactly it is. It, I think it's even true. I, I may have misunderstood this, but I think the doctor coined that phrase uh, and has committed himself to conducting research, trying to figure out... Um, what what's going on with quirks versus the bodies that they inhabit. So he basically explains that each successive generation has seen quirks mix and grow more complex and stronger. And what he says is that the hardware couldn't keep up with the memory, resulting in eventual loss of control. And this is this kind of weird, uh, maybe slightly forced computer analogy where we people, um, the, the quirk bearers, are those who are the hardware and our physical bodies aren't evolving at the rate that quirks are. And so quirks are becoming these things that are uh, harming the bodies, are incapable of being controlled by the bodies that they are at the genetic level a part of. And we've seen little bits of this, even like here with Shigaraki, like his quirk is, is harming himself too, and his body cannot withstand its full power. And so the doctor has been looking into this, um, where looking at how these quirks are evolving faster than their bodies. And so he's got to figure out a way to get the hardware to evolve suitably quickly to handle, uh, even just the one quirk well, um, but possibly, because of their experimentations with uh, injecting or that's not the right term, but of granting extra quirks to other people, getting bodies to withstand even that load. Yeah, it's it's also, to me at least, it was a little confusing because he's hooking Shigaraki up to this machine. And as he's doing that, he's comparing people to machines. And so there was a moment where I was like, was he talking about his his machine's ability to store multiple quirks, but it, you're totally right. It's, it's this idea that the humans are close to these machines and, and the almost like the software is very fastly outgrowing the hardware. And I think we, we have seen this too with some of the um, trigger issues that we've run into where quirks get enhanced and the bodies can't handle it. So um, it, it's really interesting that he also is kind of catching on to this earlier than other people, I guess. Like, no, I'm surprised he's the only doctor that's kind of researching this. Uh, but he hooks up with All for One because he clearly wants to have this this mad scientist looking into quirks and figuring out how to make him as powerful as possible as well. So it makes sense, man. It's a dastardly duo team up there, I think. 
but Shigaraki actually asks him if it's going to take a long time to, to get this level up. And the doctor's just like, man, you, you're like a kid with Christmas. You just can't wait. And, and Shigaraki says he's got these dreams and, and hopes. Uh, but the doctor says it's going to be four months of hellish pain. And then once he is done, he will have everything in the palm of his hands, uh, including one for all, which is interesting because he's the doctor is talking about how of all of the things that all for one had planned, that quirk was the one thing that didn't go the way he wanted. So it sounds like, you know, one for all has ended up in a place where all for one didn't want it to. He, he lost control of it down the way somehow. And uh, now Shigaraki wants it back. That seemed to really pique his interest. Yeah. I wonder if what the doctor is getting at there is that, all for one had this design for the one for all, but the one for all kept getting stronger and stronger and it grew to be his most significant threat. And he's made all these attempts as we'll get to here when we look at the uh, the previous successor or predecessor's notebook. It, it grew to a point where it was, his, it was his greatest threat and he started targeting this thing down either to squash it entirely or to take it back uh, and has been obviously unsuccessful in that particular endeavor uh, because Midoriya is now in possession of that. But that also puts a gigantic target on his back. We've known that for a long time. And I think it's going to be really cool to see one for all come back kind of to the center stage spotlight. Like it's, it's been on the radar quite a bit, obviously it's hard for it not to be, uh, especially with the little uh, additions that it's had as far as capability is concerned with Black Whip and talks of floats coming up here shortly. Um, but I think that it's going to be the thing, uh, you know, the uh, point on which the narration entirely hinges in a way in the future that it isn't quite right now. Because, you know, there's setup that needs to take place in order for that to, to happen. I think we're going to be see utilized in a very interesting way, uh, especially from like a, a story perspective. It, it it does feel like it's the focal point, or it's about to be. You know, there, there's this huge power that it feels like the villains are aware of and they want it. Um, so I'm interested to see at what length Shigaraki will go to obtain this power. Uh, but we transition from here right into Class 1A, who are fighting off all these awesome robots. I mean, they're the robots we're familiar with. They appear to have some AI to them. They were the, the ones from the entrance exam, and uh, they're pretty much getting wrecked. And it's really funny, because the whole time they're making these Terminator jokes. I, I think at one right. point in time, they, they joke about being this universe's Skynet. Yeah, they're like, uh, time to terminate, and we are the Skynet of this world, and a little bit later there's a Judgment Day reference. One of my favorite things about this entire scene, though, is that we get another like title card that just says, Back to the Present, and I have in my notes, I was like, okay, number one, we haven't been here in what feels like forever, like yeah. in the present of this particular narrative. We've gone backwards, and then a little bit farther forwards, and then way back, and then also back inside of back, and... <laughs> uh, I also had in my notes uh, that Back to the Present would be a terrible movie concept, just because, like, you know, Back to the Future sounds dope, but Back to the Present is just like, well, that, that's that's no fun. Who wants yeah. to do that? Right. Like, we were trying to get away from here. Uh, yeah. Well, this Everybody is... wants to be anywhere but in the present right now. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, this is a whole fun little montage where we basically catch up with all of Class 1A, showing off all their new moves, like taking out these robots, showing the, uh, All Might, and I'm sure Aizawa and others are there. Uh, just kind of how they've improved, like what, what they were trying to focus on during their work study. So first up, we see Aoyama and Hagakuri using his light beam to like do this really cool combo move, I guess. I say really cool. He, he shoots a light beam and she bends it and it hits a few robots. 
Uh, and then on top of that, we see Ashido come in and she's completely covered in her acid and she's able to like basically just wrecking ball herself into these robots and totally melt them, which is really cool. And, and she, she walks up to Kirishima and she's like, hey, your Unbreakable inspired me to do this, this form, which I thought was neat, but it, it made me wonder, do you think that in the girl's locker room, there's like a special shower area for her so she doesn't just melt the floor or like melt all of her surroundings? Because there's, there's got to be a way she gets this stuff off, right? Or deactivates it? Well, in the manga, she's depicted in a panel just shaking it off like she's a dog, which was a weird call. I don't remember seeing that in the anime, but I don't know. Maybe she's really good at just shaking it off or sloughing it off. Or Wouldn't that cause maybe splatter? It's only- yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody with it, like, like you know, friendly if fire, you're within totally. 10 feet of a dog that's shaking off while wet, you're getting wet. So maybe they all have those little like pock marks, like you stood too close to a fire and a little ember put a little <laughs> hole in your shirt, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. After hanging around Mina, after she does this max viscosity, gross version of what armor the X-Man does um, with light. I, and I, you know, Ayoyama's quirk thing is strange to me too he basically gets a lightsaber i think he does he even call it that no he calls it the naval saber. The naval saber yeah which is kind of a weird name anyways well i have the same issues with it that you know if you think about a lightsaber for more than half a second you're like but wait a minute like what's why does that light stop right there that seems weird <laughs> well the force and, right but his does yeah yeah well uh, yeah star wars has that explanation i guess but for him his is hogger curry you know that's, that's maybe so that's the team up. She's form. She's keeping the light from going any further. Okay, that makes some sense. But it also seems like a ridiculous <laughs> length to go to to go from being a a good mid range to distance long distance fighter to having to get close enough to basically hump somebody and stab them with your new light sword. Yeah, like, which makes seems, him sick anyways, and and opening yeah. up some weak points. So I, yeah, I'm not sure. Seems yeah. unwise. You're not wrong. It looks cool. I mean, you know, the boys are impressed by the presence of a sword. So there's that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we also catch up with uh, Jiro and Shoji who have improved their searching skills. And we see Ojiro and Sato team up. They're, they've improved their fighting skills. Uh, Mineta, Sero, and Kaminari are all teaming up. Ida takes down a couple of robots along with Koda who like what talked about improving his communication skills. Uh, Tokoyami says he wants to improve overall. Kirishima was learning on how to focus, like basically on destroying his opponent's willpower. So they'll just give up, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, and then Ashido and, or not Ashido, but uh, Sue and Ochako were focusing on decision and teamwork. And then of course we've got Momo who was focusing on prediction and efficiency. So we, we get basically all of one, a obviously Bakugo, Todoroki and Midoriya were all training with Endeavor and they talk about leveling up their speed or just in general, of course, Midoriya has apparently mastered whiplash and he can do that for like a couple Black of whip. seconds. Black whip. Yeah. Black whip. And for canonically um, one second, which I want to talk about when we get there. But yeah, this, this is the part of the episode where I'm like, this is an episode one of the season. Yeah. Like, this is, that's what this felt like. It's catching up with everybody, being reminded of their quirks, seeing who it is that they, you know, uh, worked under, which was kind of cool. Like, we had seen pictures of these guys before. But that's but all it was again. The first time that, I mean, it's, it's not like, we, that's all it was again. I mean, it was just like a yeah, quick yeah. flash of who they were under. If we saw them in the streets or like applications of these new things it would have been kind of a cooler catch-up i think but having it be another demo it's like this this should have been in the first episode of the next season or some sort of like preseason spoiler or not spoiler but like amp up you know like like let's get some hype on do an intro episode for everybody and just uh, as an easy reminder 
I didn't like it being the last episode of the season. Yeah, I I 100% agree. I mean, the the montage, you know, it's it's not worthless. Like we get to see uh we get to see Gang Orca who like I'll take him anytime. He's dope. But oh, uh, also there's this thing in here where they they're giving away like some of the rankings of the heroes. Fatgum is ranked 58. How did I miss that? That seems wildly low for him based yeah, I, on our experience of him. I thought the same thing. Like for some reason I had in my mind he was at least top 25. Uh, but in 58, it's not bad. I mean, I think they've got ranks up into like 2000 or something, but but I definitely thought he was higher. They at least have ranks up to 222 because that's where our boy normal hero Manuel is holding, <laughs> holding it down at 222. It's funny to me every time that that's that they share his uh, rank and it's that low, but they share it every single time. It's great. Well, he's proud of that rank. He worked hard for it, man. Well, and how, did, how do you think that, like, so the, the dude that Momo is with is this dude named Magic Hero Majestic, who doesn't have a rank. So normal Hero Manuel is outranking that guy. Well, it makes me wonder, like, we don't know how the ranking system works. Do you have to apply? Is there paperwork? Do you have to pay, like, fees? Like, is it all a farce? Is it, does Endeavor always get that close because he's donating that much? You know what I mean? Like, we have no idea how the system works, so it's possible. And there's got to be thousands of heroes out there, like, all over the area that are small-town heroes, not these big names. So how do they get part of, to be part of this? It feels, I'm, I'm calling it now, ranking systems rigged. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have uh, some students who are really good, like, com- competitive at different sports. Tennis, for example. Uh, and a couple of them, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, in my age group, I'm ranked 16th in the nation, you know. And like when you're ranked that high in a pool of candidates like that, of course, you're going to tell people. But everybody probably has a ranking, you know. So like if I went out and played high school tennis and had a win-loss record and whatever, I'm sure I would show up on that list eventually. But I'm not going to walk around and tell people I'm ranked 669th in the state, you know. Um <laughs> For, for for junior boys, you know, whatever the case might be. Yeah, I just keep yeah. that to myself. I'd rather be unranked, right? <laughs> so maybe that's what Magic Hero Majestic is like. No, my, let's not talk about my number. Just say that I'm unranked. It's fine. Well, and maybe there's some sort of weird, like, dings against heroes, right? Like, if they're in the field and they wreck so many buildings or they have so much damage, like, build up or cost against them, then they get deranked. So that maybe is why some of them lose rankings. Like, they're just totally out there wrecking cities. Yeah, I do think that we know a little bit about the ranking. I think some of it is popularity kind of mm-hmm. polls, and then others of it is like efficiency ranks. Like we know that Endeavor was like number two because he his like he had the highest uh, highest efficiency but yeah. low popularity, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he he closed more cases basically than All Might did, but he just wasn't as beloved. And so we we do get a little bit of a glimpse. So that makes me think even less of Magic Hero Majestic actually. Which Magic Hero Majestic looks really cool. I want to know more about that that hero. He looks a lot like uh, there's Scarecrow a Scarecrow from Batman the Animated Series. That yeah, I was gonna say he looks a lot like the Scarecrow Digimon too. So yeah, that that all follows at the so they all beat up on robots, showing us different things, um, verbally telling us what it is that they've learned. There is a moment uh, during the Bakugo Todoroki Deku showcase where All Might has a moment. And he is watching Midoriya do his thing, including the Black Whip. And he says, you don't look back on me anymore, do you? 
And he says, you don't, you don't have to look back on me anymore. And I wanted to point that out now because I think that it becomes um, even more significant towards the very end of this episode when he and Aizawa are having a conversation out in the, uh, yeah. out on the bench. Yeah, this was a really, not sad scene, but it was just a, a really like silent moment for All Might. You know, he's realizing that he's being almost surpassed by, by his pupil. So, uh, but we, we transition over to see Aizawa and present Mike. They're on lunch break. They're probably talking about work studies and stuff. I think Aizawa kind of asks present Mike what he wants for lunch and he's mentioning udon. Uh, but then he asks him, he says, uh, you know, if, if you could find the person that was making these nobus and you could find the place, what would you do? And President Mike says he would go over there and have a karaoke contest and boil their insides to make awful soup. And I didn't know what awful soup was. It's O-F-F-A-L. Apparently, it is various non-muscular parts of, like, carcasses. Yeah, just nastiness. So he's, uh, he's, get, he's feeling pretty passionate about this, which I think totally makes sense. I mean, we, we just saw the big Shirakumo reveal. I'm willing to bet this is probably the same week as that, uh, if not within just a couple of days. So uh, he's definitely upset, and you know he asked Aizawa what he would do, but we don't get to find out because we're interrupted by Amajiki and Mirio. It turns out Iri is having some problems with her horn. It, it feels itchy and is emitting some sort of like power, so Aizawa goes to help out in that situation, and, and we actually find Ajiri who is hanging out with Iri. So the big three spend a lot of time together on screen all the time. They're conveniently placed with each other. Yeah, present Mike is planking in this entire scene too. Like it's yeah. 2010. He's just trying to be one of the cool kids and get in on the TikToks. Um, I also have in my notes too that like the what present Mike says he's going to do doesn't feel like a very present Mike thing to say. It's very, it's very dark. graphic. It's very aggressive. Yeah, and so like I shudder to think what Aizawa might have said if given the chance. Like I almost feel like him being interrupted was a form of censorship on Horikoshi's part. Oh, I think you're totally right. I, I will say, though, in present Mike's defense, there was that time he also wanted to, like, totally run off some uh, reporters at the school. Do you remember season one where he's like, can't we just kill them? Or can't we just pretend they're villains? Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's I mean, not that, too that far. That felt playful in a way that this did not. That's true. But, I mean, to be fair, these guys did, like, brutally, m- m- I'm going to say murder his best friend's legacy, right? Yeah. I, so. I had to... The the manga showed this, I think, a, t- a titch better than the anime. But when Aizawa rolls up onto the scene where Airy is, he actually uh, uses his quirk to nullify hers. I don't oh, remember really? seeing that I visual cue in that. the anime. Yeah, it doesn't. Or if they did, it wasn't as obvious. Like, we, we do see her horn kind of emit some power and then it stops. Like, it's almost short, shorted out. But I didn't pick up on that being Aizawa cutting her power out. Yeah, there's just a single panel in the manga where there's like a sound effect like flump and it looks like his hair is sticking up a little bit. I feel like we have seen that though pretty consistently where it seems like Aizawa's power may not work quite the way we think it does. Like it's conveniently working sometimes when maybe it shouldn't be. Well, here it would make all the sense to work exactly like we always thought that it did where he's looking at her and And pulls pulls this off. If they showed it, but I don't remember him activating it in the in the anime. Yeah, I don't either. That's why I wanted to point it out as one of the very few manga differences here. Um, but he, you know, and, and that's that makes sense. That's why uh, Amajiki and Mirio would have gone to get Aizawa. Oh, yeah. like, hey, come do the thing that you do. It's why she's on campus, right? Like why she's in a dorm near the teachers. Like Aizawa is pretty much the failsafe there. So, you know, and it seems like with them bringing this up, 
where they did, her power has got to come and play in this next arc somehow. Like, either they're going to bring Mirio back, or uh, do you think they're going to pair up her and Deku again somehow? I mean, surely not, after they made that whole speech about not doing that. But it just wouldn't surprise me if they use it to to take out some big baddie or something. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what they'll do with her, but she's definitely a Chekhov's gun right now. Like, they brought her back onto the scene just to to be like, hey, don't forget, like, there's this child that has this special power. Yeah. And And we even, there's lip service paid to it a little bit later in the episode where Aizawa and also All Might are going to be taking the time to train her. And, like, you don't get, you don't get, uh, you know, leads like that narrative leads like that, that just dissipate into nothing in, in quality um, narrate narration uh, narratives anyway. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll definitely be seeing more of her next season. I'm sure. Um, well, we, we transition over to all might who is congratulating Bakugo and Midoriya on their work studies and improving. And, you know, I think he's just in general, like just kind of give him the kudos. He's seen them come a very long way and he's giving Midoriya over this notebook uh, with all this information on the previous owners of one for all. And it's interesting because he mentions that he couldn't find anything about the second or third owner. And he chalks it up to kind of the fact that when they were around based on their timeline, it's probably around the time that all for one was really big. So they were probably in hiding and probably didn't note down their quirks or tell anybody about them. And uh, Bakugo actually grabs the book and is starting to read about the fifth user uh, who is named Lariat or Daigaro Banjo. And his quirk is Black Whip. And Bakugo's noting that, like, none of the one-for-all users really had powers or quirks that started off super strong. Like, he even says, I've not heard of any of these people. And it's it's funny because Midoriya takes offense to it and says, you know, look, like, those are all amazing quirks. And Bakugo's like, yeah, to maybe your small fry perspective, you know, but these really aren't. Right. All Might says some pretty interesting things here. First, uh, the the comment about not knowing much about the second and third possessors of one for all it kind of makes some weird sense about every time that we see the previous possessors there's two that are like ghosty boys that we don't get a lot of definition for but that also doesn't make sense like why are their spirit selves uh you know veiled to the other possessors and to Midoriya like how does how does the lack of information in the real world translate into a lack of information in inside of uh one for all itself that part i i don't know that i fully grasp of maybe i misunderstood uh and the second thing is he the way that all might kind of is describing this this history of one for all is that it got to the point where it was trying really hard to fly under the radar to avoid attention from all for one and so he says that the a lot of these possessors weren't chosen at all they were instead entrusted like the the owner that uh, preceded them found themselves in a dire strait, possibly on death's door. They make a quick transfer, and it, it kind of is this underground railroad, keep it, you know, hot potato, basically keep it away from all for one with this power until it gets to the right person. And, and Midoriya appears to be that person, but I, I think it also would have very much appeared like All Might was that right person for a while, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it kind of makes you wonder how the quirk itself knows because we do know it's somewhat sentient, but there's also the other thing to me where I'm wondering, do the second and third wielders, maybe they weren't as powerful, right? Like their quirks may not have been very quirky. I'm going to say like it maybe 
I don't know, maybe they can move water around or something, kind of like Midoriya's mom. Isn't can't she like control water or fire very loosely? No, she can like telekinetically lift very is that small what it is? Objects. Okay. But yeah. I'm just wondering if maybe because the quirks weren't very strong, there wasn't enough genetic imprint to leave behind on uh one for all. Or maybe because they didn't use their quirks, they didn't want to trigger all for one to to find them, they weren't able to imprint their, you know, quirks onto all or one for all because of that. Like they they were under duress they were hiding so they didn't get to enhance it as much as they could have compared to the the more recent users that were kind of more openly able to use their quirks i mean nana shimura and lariat here they both sound like they were pro heroes so they were out doing quirk things all the time so i don't know we don't know how the quirk really works yet uh, we still have a lot more to find out and i'm sure we'll get more on it uh in the next season but all might does go ahead and explain that the next quirk that Midoriya needs to learn is Nana Shimura's and it is flight to which Bakugo delights in because he says he's already won uh, because he can fly by blasting things. So since he can already fly when Midoriya is training to learn how to do something he already knows he can be moving on. And so he gets a really good chuckle out of this. And you know, we kind of see the two of them from All Might's perspective and you can tell that he's, he's kind of loving watching them compete with each other and grow together and, and become the heroes he wants them to be. It's, it's a really cool moment. Yeah, he's 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 remembering he's perceiving things fondly and it becomes something that he appears to also while simultaneously as he cherishes he's also kind of overlooking the significance of what he's participating in because later on during the scene on the bench he's like I don't know what I can do for them anymore. Well, like two scenes earlier in the scene that we're talking about now, he was he was coaching, he was encouraging. He was aiding, you know, um, and it's like, dude, and I get it. People sometimes get in, in those mind spaces. We'll talk about that uh, when it comes time for that particular bench scene. But it just struck me that the very thing that he feels like he isn't doing, he's he's actively participating in here. He just isn't seeing it the way um, that these boys are or that Aizawa will um, will try to encourage him to see. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good way of putting it. There's kind of that like passive helping and active helping and all might forgets that he passively helps you know um, but i do want to mention before we move on there's a really funny moment here where you know midoriya is saying that he's going to learn the new quirk really quickly and bakugo is just like nah you'll probably lose control and die and that it's just so bakugo he cracked me up it is a it is a great line it is a great <laughs> line it's and yeah he that line did make me chuckle a good bit in the anime it's also in the uh, manga pretty much verbatim just like that that's awesome. Well, the boys head back to the dorms where they are throwing a big party to celebrate, I guess, kind of the transition into the next semester. Uh, when they first show back up, they're pretty much told, like, if they don't hurry and help out with dinner, they're not getting any meat, to which Bakugo basically dares them. He's like, take away. See what happens. I dare you. Uh, but he goes to help, and as he's helping, he catches the green onions that have been cut up, and he holds them up, and they're like d dangly holding, holding on to each other, like they've not been clearly cut. And he freaks out. He's like, who cut these? And Todoroki says that he did, and he, he Bakugo straight tells him, like, man, your sister would be crying right now if she saw this. And he starts slicing them the way that, you know, you should. Todoroki's like, oh, wow, you're so good at it. And he goes, no, you just suck at it, which is great. Yeah, and then it's, he says die, because... Yeah. Why That's not? almost like the period to Bakugo's sentences is that word, just yeah. die. It's his exclamation. 
Yeah, there is. I liked, too, this is a really tiny detail that I really appreciated. But there's a mention from the 1A. Somebody in 1A says that uh, Yui Kodai is going to bring a sofa. I guess 1B is going to come over at some point. We don't see that at all in this episode. But somebody's like, yeah, Kodai is going to bring a sofa. And that's great because she can shrink it and put it into her pocket and bring right. it over to the dorm. Like, it makes <laughs> all the sense that she would be the one doing that. She would be the best person to take on, like, a beach trip or something. Like, you know how you always have to park near the beach and, and lug all this stuff to the sand? Just bring her with you. She shrinks everything, you know, throw it all in a little bag. It'd be great. Dude, are we, are, are we about to have to get into another episode of uh, mundane applications of, of quirks? <laughs> because she could have her own moving company and she wouldn't need a fleet of trucks. Right. That would be dope. It feels like Ochako's parents could hire her to transport their equipment. You know, like she could have so many awesome, just random things to do with that quirk. Yeah. Anything that involves transportation of, you know, moderately sized or larger objects, she would be good at. Yeah. Although I wonder like if, if you take like a, like a crane, how small could she make it? Does she, when she shrinks it, is it still like a large thing that you still need a truck for? It's just smaller than it was before. Well, and you know, what's really interesting is that it doesn't seem like her quirk addresses mass at all. So like if you shrink a crane, should she really be able to lift it? Yeah. Because she would also be a really good assassin, like just sneak something in someone's drink and walk away and then boom, like, well, I don't know. After so long, someone would figure that out, I guess. But yeah, I mean, yeah, she does have a a little bit of a tell there, but um we, we do have <laughs> yeah yeah everybody we'll we'll leave that for a future segment we've got a segment set for tonight but everybody's chumming it up over hot spot uh hot pots and uh Mineta's dressing about finals in a way that nobody else is there's even this little bit of an exchange between him and uh and the toads where he's just like don't talk about finals it's ruining the taste of this hot pot and ever so literal Todoroki is just like, well, I, it doesn't taste any difference to me. And Mineta just has none of Todoroki. That, that, <laughs> Mineta reacts to Todoroki like I would, like if a, a friend of mine, you know, friends of mine sometimes do that weird, like literal, but it's like punny kind of response to things. And I, I just have no tolerance for it. They're also talking about becoming second years and having underclassmen, but it sounds like underclassmen can't be part of groups or or they they clubs, I think is what they said. So they're not really going to interact yeah, with them at clubs. all. Uh, but you know that it's funny because Midoriya is is taking all this in. He's like living in the moment, and he can't believe he's here. I mean, he's he never thought he'd be training under All Might, and he never thought he'd be able to have a normal conversation with Bakugo. But here they are, just eating dinner in their own dorm, part of Class 1A, becoming the next heroes. Like, this is all of his dreams coming true. Uh, And he's interrupted by Tokoyami, who wants the Ponzu very, very desperately. He keeps reminding him, and he has to, like, snap him out of his his flashbacks here. But this is us transitioning out of the dorm room. We, like, get this really cool camera pan over to see All Might, who's just sitting on a bench. And, I mean, he can clearly hear the students. He's, He's listening to them enjoy their evening. And Aizawa peeks out of the doorway and says, Hey, you know, like you doing okay out here. And it's, it gets kind of sad, a little blue here. Cause all might says, you know, uh, I decided to live, uh, but before he goes into that, I do have to say he does tell Aizawa that he got a message from Sukuauchi and he wants Aizawa to hold off on his meeting with stain, which means we're getting hero killer. Stain yeah. back. And I, I was so excited by that line. I was a little confused. Cause for some reason I thought he was dead. Um, I, I don't know why I'm nah, guessing he was just arrested. Yeah. But I think he's in Tartarus with, uh, with all for one. I think they're in the same prison. 
Man, that's crazy to think about that they would have two high profile villains like that in the same place. Oh, there's more. Kurogiri was there. Yeah, there's no, a bunch. There's I'm a sure bunch. that that place is like it's like the raft in Marvel comics. Yeah. You know, it's just like the the highest security prison. So all the bad boys go there. It it would be really crazy if with all these high profile villains being in the same exact spot, if the paranormal uh, liberation front, which does not roll off the tongue, by the way, every time I say it, I'm just like, oh, my God. So if they were to attack Tartarus and bust all these people out, I mean, that would be pretty nuts, right? Like they get all the villains on their side pretty much immediately and they seem to have the force to do it. And it would be even crazier if some of the people inside of Tartarus are just part of the paranormal liberation front. Uh, but, you know, if that happens, it, there's a part of me that thinks that Stain may actually go after them and, like, join the heroes, which would be nuts. Like, I could see him being kind of one of those, like, villain of my villain kind of people and join in with the heroes to try and get rid of the paranormal liberation front. Like, if he thinks these heroes chalking it up the way that they do are bad business or, or a bad image to the point that he's killing them, I can't imagine that he would feel any better about the paranormal liberation front, folks. Yeah, I, th- you know, this is kind of another Chekhov's gun situation. You don't bring up the name Stain and just do nothing with that. Right. So he's definitely coming back into the story. I think that there's merit to your thoughts about uh, some kind of assault on Tartarus. It's either going, I mean, w- one of two things is absolutely going to happen uh, with that prison at some point in the future. It's either going to be uh, that there is a breakout or that there is a break in with all for one sitting in there. And as you mentioned, the a, a, a probability that there are some other MLA um, folks uh, in there, you know, not knowing perhaps that they're the PLF now uh, that, <laughs> PLF. that there's, there's got to be a move made on that place at some point. And all my going to stain is curious to me. Uh, I don't know what it is that they would want from him, but maybe there's a situation in which he kind of, it's not like people there are going to get out on good behavior. There's no parole, um, that maybe there are really long sentences, but I wonder if this is, could be an opportunity where like stain gets on the outside supervised and gets basically recruited to do something that maybe he's uniquely equipped to do. And and he does it under, you know, extreme watch and on certain conditions, like uh, kind of like a thunderbolt. That would be kind of cool to me. I mean, hmm. I'll take Stain any way that I can get him as well, too. So, yeah, that would be really interesting. I, I'm i not sure. I wonder, this is awful, but I wonder if they like set him up with a nose or something and he goes undercover. Set him up with a nose? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That was good. Oh, that was dirty, but it was really funny. Uh, all right. Now, we have to transition from that line into what All Might starts talking about. Thanks for that oh, uh, segue to, there. to bring uh, me down. <laughs> yeah. uh, poor All Might's sitting there like, I don't do anything to help anyone anymore. I mean, he, he feels helpless. He says he chose to live, but but what is he living for now? He can't do anything. He... He's seeing his pupil move on without him. He's seeing, you know, like his successors, basically, this next generation coming to their power. And, and he just doesn't feel like he's really able to do much to help them at all. Um, but Aizawa reminds him that just by being alive, he's helping people. The fact that he's there is enough to push these kids to become the heroes that he wants them to be. And the fact that he chose to live is is kind of why they are where they're at. And he has a moment here where he remembers Sir Night Eye on his deathbed, 
And you kind of have to think that All Might's probably thinking like, yeah, sure, there are plenty of people here that are looking up to me and are alive because of me, but there are so many more that also passed away or, or are not here because of me. Uh, but, you know, Aizawa ensures him that he should really just sit back, put his feet up and try and relax like he's earned it. Yeah, this is a really interesting and powerful conversation because one of the things that Aizawa points out to All Might, who is expressing this increasing feeling of powerlessness and just being totally, he actually uses the word tortured uh, by his inability to do anything for them. Again, I think he's overlooking what he is currently doing for them. But I think the way that Aizawa frames it is really interesting because he says that you're just a workaholic. He says it's a symptom of your addiction made clear by the sudden change in circumstances, really. And this is this this kind of had me thinking differently about all the times where All Might was supposed to go to place A, but on the way to place A, he stopped and thwarted six incidents on the way. Yeah. You know, um, well, it and, wasn't and that, that ultimately why he was hung up from helping them at USJ. I mean, he was on his way there, but stopped to help people, and he couldn't be in his full form to be there. So he had to wait for his cooldown. But that caused the opening for the villains. So, I mean, you're spot on. Yeah, and for Nezu, who held him up for tea. That's uh, true. A spot of tea on the, on, on the on route to that as well. But yeah, I mean, just like looking over that and seeing that as a workaholic, as an addictive personality. But I think as I was right, he's just like, your circumstances are changed. Your utility, therefore, must change. Like, you can't run around and, and clean up the streets anymore, but you have a new utility, one that you're, you're, you're doing right now is kind of what I think Aizawa is getting him to understand. Uh, and the way that he says it at the end, he says, you are able to do something for them. And he says, by living and being here, you can spur on many people. And that line really leapt out to me because uh, I'm a youth pastor. I've said that before. And, and recently uh, with the students, I've covered anxiety and depression and self-harm and even suicide in, in discussions with them. And, uh, you know, one of the thing this is this line would have fit really well in one of those talks that like sometimes we forget uh, we think that our absence would be inconsequential and the reality is so far the opposite, um, but we don't see it that way. Um, in part because sometimes we're, we're just not having conversations to be reminded of that, that truth, that our absence would absolutely be consequential. Uh, one of the things that I encouraged the students to understand was that suffering in silence was self-harm. Like if you, if you aren't letting people know that you're in a bad spot or that you are having these dark thoughts, then that, that ultimately is self-harm because it's certainly moving you in in self-harm's direction. And uh, th that line was really poignant to me because of all those conversations recently. Just a reminder that your life is meaningful um, to people outside of yourself, even when you feel like it isn't. Yeah, and I think All Might's going to be reminded of this more and more and more in the next season as these students are going to need him to look up to when they face the PLF, right? I mean, this is a big villain. This is going to be their version of of all for one. Um, so he, they're going to need the the previous wielders, the previous generations to look up to and figure out how how to make it through this and make it out alive. 
So I'm, I, yeah, and all for one still on the table. Yeah, like it's not even that they, there's a good chance that it's Shigaraki in his current state, and also all for one. Right, like that's wild. It Plus is. Plus the Nomu. I mean, it's that's going to be a huge. It's a like Hawks was saying at the beginning of this episode. There's a freaking lot of power on the other side of the line right now. Yeah, no joke. Well, speaking of Hawks, we catch up with him before this episode ends. He is remembering the keyword hospital. He's sitting there thinking about the idea that there is this person backing Shigaraki, that there's still so much more he has to find out before what he calls X day is happening. Um, and we transition over to the hospital where we see the doctor, this this person that has been pulling strings behind the scenes for who knows how long. I mean, he's been studying the uh, quirk singularity. He's been creating no moves. He's been working with all for one to create these, you know, extra powerful beings like Shigaraki. And so I would assume probably nine from the movies as well. And yep. I mean, he's even got his hands. The Nomu. Right. I mean, and he's even got his hands involved at the very beginning when kids are learning of their quirks, telling them like, yes, you do have a quirk or no, you don't. So he's able to kind of get the cream of the crop from the get go. I mean, he knows who he's looking for. And we see him telling this nurse that his experiments are going very well and that all we need to do is wait to see how they turn out. And it's pretty freaky, man. I mean, he's he is definitely in a really good spot. I think it's going to be really hard for them to catch him. Yeah, and this is a fine place to end the season. I still am very much of the opinion that episode 100 and uh, 112 would have been a better fin- finish to the season, in part because it reminded me a lot of how I felt leaving the theater after Avengers Infinity War, where like the snap happens and people just start getting dusted. Heroes falling out and leaving the movie theater feeling like, Hot dang, like the the villains won. The villains, you know, Thanos that he he's he's in he's he's the one with all the power now, you know. And that was a weird m- place for your brain to be leaving a superhero movie, but it was so effective a setup for Endgame that the the motivation to go and see how it is that the heroes come scrambling back from being down that far that late in this particular game, having actually lost. Um, was a huge drive for to to go and see how that story ended up. I thought that that was masterful storytelling to just have the villain win in the end. And it would have been a really cool way to end season five to leave us with exactly that, with Shigaraki's coronation, his his glow up, and us being like, well, what the crap are we are the heroes going to do now? And just leaving it there would have been perfect, I think. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I know that there are some folks in our Discord that say that this episode sets up you know, stuff for in the future. And I guess that it's because at the end of this episode and the after credits, they're back from, you know, their spring break or they're going into their spring break, uh, their second years. Now they're back on work studies and they all get an expeditionary operation and they, they end up standing on this cliff overlooking a city with burning in front. And in the manga, there's some sort of line, like th- that was the last time there were heroes in this city or something weird and ominous. So there is setup work done. But, uh, but yeah, all of this I, setup I could have been the first episode of the next season. <laughs> well, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I like your idea a lot of it being like this in between season episode where like, you know, if we got to wait six months for the season six, which has been confirmed to, you know, nobody's shock uh, to, to have like 
three months into that six month waiting period for them to be like, oh, we've got this episode that is a little bit of a tie over from season five to season six. It tantalizes, it teases, it does a little bit of setup, and then you move into the stuff with the first episode, mm-hmm. a big first episode for season six. But we'll we'll see how it all works out. It's, it could have been an OVA, really, like at some sort of a festival of some kind, it feels like. Yeah. That's what it could have been. Yep. Um, you know, it's not quite filler. I mean, it's all in the manga, but it kind of almost felt like filler. <laughs> but hey, you yeah. know what? That's fine. I'm I'm stoked for season six. Um, I know it's been confirmed. I don't think we have a, a release date or anything like that. I'm sure that's all going to be announced over the next couple of weeks. But I, I'm going to tell you, man, I'm going to miss the opening of season five. Like the most recent opening is dope. I love it. It gets stuck in my head. Like I put it on in the car. It's one of the only openings I've ever put on in the car. I always skip it. I know. Kills me. This one's really good. <laughs> really freaking good. Uh, well, anyway, so tonight, uh, you know, after we have wrapped up the most recent arcs, uh, there was some discussion, I think, in the Discord or maybe on our Twitter. I can't remember where it originated from, but we decided we wanted to cover our top five story arcs uh, and and kind of discuss why we thought they were in the top five. Uh, so, Atkins, why don't you get us started, man? Just count us down from five to one. What were your top favorite okay. story arcs of My Hero? So this was uh, something that came up in the Discord. Uh, there are a couple folks in there who are really funny because it's like every time we finish an arc in the anime, they're just like, so what'd you think? Where would you rank it? And and we've always kind of dodged that question. So we were like, eh, you know what? Let's answer it up to anime current stuff. And I do have them in order. I was tempted to just say these are my top five and they're in no particular order. But that's no fun. It doesn't give you guys something to complain about or tell me I'm wrong. Uh, so these are in order from... Uh, from five being my least favorite of the five to number one. But of course, top five, still pretty noteworthy material here. So in number five, uh, I have the forest training camp arc. Uh, I really like this. This is where um, they're out in the woods. It was our first experience of 1B. There's some good uh, like slice of life stuff, like the cooking uh, bit that was in there where we learned that Bakugo is an amazing cook. There is... Training uh, montage. There was... Yeah, and there was there was like a horror tinge to this because of like Moonfish and Muscular, uh, Deku making that stand against Muscular uh, in defense of Kota with a T, um, Aizawa squaring off some against Dobby, the students just being given permission to let loose, the crazy Tokoyami goes nuts uh, with, uh, with Dark Shadow, like all that stuff was really, really cool, super enjoyed that particular arc. Uh, so I would I would definitely watch all of that again. Um, in number four spot, I have the Shie Hasaikai arc, but I want to qualify that some. I liked everything uh, that was them getting into the compound, like the the big fights between Chisaki and Deku at the end with Aerie and all that. It was cool to watch but it wasn't my favorite stuff of this particular arc. I loved the raid. I loved watching Amajiki just whoop bullet ass. Um, Mirio being badass as well, both with and without his quirk. Um, it was cool uh, seeing Rappa, of course, mm-hmm. uh, in his fight against Kirishima and Fat Gum still remains one of my favorite characters of all time in this series, Rappa. And in fact, it turns out that he's like in the very next chapter of Vigilantes that we're going to be covering. Um, so there was a lot of really cool stuff in that. Like I said, didn't super love the very end of it, but uh, the beginning and middle bits were dope. Um, in third place, and I will go ahead and say for third, second, and first, 
Um, I ordered them in this way based on the kind of impact that they made on the narrative overall. So like I was tempted to put versus hero killer arc first because I stink and love stain. We've been over this, but I actually have versus hero killer arc in third place. Uh, stain. I love uh, definitely some bonus points there, but his impact on the villain side of things is still noteworthy. Um, and it's still discussed like even just a few episodes ago, Spinner um, paid paid some lip service to Stain's effect on him. Um, and it's been a palpable impact on others. Which thinking back to it makes sense that they had Spinner bring it up with him being brought back up again uh, from Sukwauchi and Aizawa and All Might standpoint. So it wasn't like, you know, because typically Spinner is not a villain they spend a lot of time on. So the fact that he kind of got his own five minutes of glory there and they actually used it to talk about Stain makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. I mean, Stain was cool. It's, that, it's not a terribly long arc, but it was just, I really like it. Um, and like I said, big, bigger story impact than some of the other ones on my list. Uh, second place is the Mutant Liberation Army stuff, uh, or Mutant Meta Liberation mm-hmm. Army stuff. Um, the, the most recent stuff, including the My Villain Academia, obviously ginormous impact on the narrative. And I stinking loved the Shigaraki background stuff. It was dark. It was gory. It was graphic. It was really well done and plotted. Um, the, just getting some of that background information on a lot of the villains was really cool. You know, the, the, whatever you've got the, what do they call it? Um, I keep calling it glow up, uh, as like tongue in cheek, but the, uh, the improvements that they're, that they oh, got the to their quirks, what was the term? The they awakenings. Used? Awakenings. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I think you and I are both like, eh, it, they, these things make sense given their quirks. They aren't like anything brand new. These are easy conclusions to reach with these things. So like, it's cool to watch. Um, but yeah, this, that, that arc super well done. All of it is super good. There's a lot of philosophical discussions inside of that arc too, which I'm always a pretty big sucker for, but my number one easily hands down is the hideout raid arc. Um, this is, it's it's right after the summer camp arc, as a matter of fact, because at the end of the summer camp arc, Bakugo gets kidnapped. They try, the League of Villain tries to recruit him, basically. The students have to go and rescue him. Uh, you have the freaking fantastic all-for-one versus all-might fight um, and all that came with it. It's the best arc. I mean, I, I, I would be really hard-pressed to hear a, a very strong argument otherwise. Yeah, it's... What about uh, you? That, that one's really good. So I don't think you'll be too shocked to find out that my top three are the same. Uh, so third place is Hero Killer. Number two is Meta Liberation Army. And number one was definitely the Hideout Raid. I mean, that's got to be one of the best fights. Oh, twinsies. Yeah. I, th- th- those were just, those three arcs are so freaking good. Like, they're hard to pass up. Um, so for my fifth spot, I have actually got the USJ scene. I mean, it's, it's really the first time we get to see these kids kind of react to the villains in their own way. And... The first time we get to see the villains on the scene and we get our first kind of bit of intrigue with these Nomus. And then, of course, we see All Might at like over 100 percent, you know, which is so cool. It really just sets the mood for the rest of this this show, I think. Um, and, and then number four, I've got the forest training. I really like the forest training a lot. I thought that was a really fun arc. Uh, and then right there, top three. Same with you, man. I think those are all perfect. I like every single one of the ones we brought up were something that really added to the show or changed something and made it just a little bit different, like set itself aside from all these other things going on. So I really dig those. 
Yeah, I wanted, there was a time where I was really up on the joint training stuff with 1A versus 1B, but it went on too dang long. Like it just got Mm -hmm. super long in the tooth. It was exciting in part, maybe even primarily because there was so much that was new to it with all of the 1B um, quirks on display and all that. But it just, it went on forever. Well, they didn't like, do I can see why that's it. very polarizing. Yeah, they didn't do anything yeah, with it. It yeah. was like you said, when oh we were gosh. watching it, you were like, this better pay off. And it didn't. I mean, here we are at the end of the season and 1B never came back up. Well, I, I, I'm willing to give them more time to make that pay off. But if, it, if they don't, then that's, that is a tremendous waste of time, in my opinion. If, if 1B is just not a part of anything ever again, I'll be like, what the crap? That's <laughs> annoying. Surely, though, they're going to be part of next season. I mean, I think some of the 1B was even on that ledge at the end of this episode. I just, it didn't pay off as quickly as I wanted it to for how much time they invested on it. I would have rather have had a couple more episodes of the villains or something. I don't know. I mean, I know there wasn't more to, to pull from the manga, I don't think. They pretty much did a one-to-one for a lot of stuff, other than mixing it up a they little did. bit. Uh, but I yeah. don't know. I'm, I'm with you. That that went on just a little bit too long. Uh, it was a cool showcasing of powers, I guess, but they could have done a lot. I feel like they could have condensed that by two episodes at least. Well, this leaves the door open for anybody who's listening to shoot us your top five. Um, you know, it gives us something to discuss. Uh, and we do we tend to do so very civilly, even if we poke a little bit of fun sometimes in the discord about uh, who likes what and why. Um, it's all it's all in good fun, and we love hearing from you guys and talking with you. So you can hit us on Twitter at Almighty Pod and drop your five on us, or drop into the Discord. Join up, man. We're always chit chatting in there. Uh, but we do have some news going into the immediate future concerning the AMP. Adam, why don't you take that away? Yeah, so we are going to be taking a very small, short break. Uh, in fact, this will be releasing on the 11th, and then on the 18th, we've got a Kyo Cinema episode coming out, which is our Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super podcast. I'm sure you've heard us talking about it. But the 25th and the 1st, we will not have anything hitting any RSS feeds. Um, I've got a lot of stuff going on at work. I know Adkins does too, so for a couple weeks, we need to take a bit of a break get caught up in our personal lives, and just make sure we're all good there. And then we'll be right back at it with Vigilantes. Uh, On the 8th, we will have a Vigilantes episode come out covering chapters 86 and 87. We decided to kind of scale back those a little bit. Normally we do four chapters an episode, but we're kind of hitting this stretch where it'll be a while before the anime has any more content for us to watch. And, you know, we've got the movie coming out at the end of this month, but we want to be able to stretch things out a little bit more. So we're going to be covering two chapters. uh, And that way we'll have a little bit more content for everybody. Yeah. And we're going to, it's not like we're doing nothing over the two weeks that we're not going to be posting things to the feed. We're still going to be active on Twitter, still going to be chit chatting in the discord. Uh, But Adam and I just, we were comparing calendars and we were like, we don't know when we're going to be able to do this whole record and edit thing for a couple of weeks. Um, But we will also, in addition to being accessible on the various social medias, we are also going to be taking that time just to have a, a, a crash course refresher on all of the vigilante stuff that we've been apart from for so long. Um, you know, probably rereading all of the chapters that precede the two that we're supposed to be responsible for come uh, November eighth. Uh, so uh, that will be part of our homework during that time. And we, you know, like Adam said, we got a lot of ideas for for content. We've got a ton of vigilantes that we can still cover. We've got the new movie. We've still got three unread volumes of Smash. We haven't even touched team up missions. Uh, all of that before we get to socks and ties. So it'll be a while before we get to the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But with that, I think that covers everything we're going to need for this episode. So we will see everybody on the 8th of November. We hope you have a good couple of weeks. Read up on Vigilantes and we'll see you then. 
Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. 